0: All right, church. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm so grateful for this church. Um, I absolutely love the opportunity that I have to be able to teach here and preach. I love it. It's a joy. It's a privilege. But having said that, uh, last week I was able to sit right over here and listen to, to Thomas um, preach, I was convicted and uh, encouraged and challenged, and several weeks prior to that, I sat in that same spot and listened to Craig and I say all this to say, I am so grateful for the the guys that God, God has brought here. I, I left so filled last week, um, but having said that, just a warning: I have a lot of pent up preaching energy in me right now <laughs> so I hope you 're ready for that. Um, I get to pick up right where Thomas left off. So we started a, uh, what we're calling a series within a series. So it's three weeks, we've looked at the way the gospel impacts some really key areas of our lives. So we started, we looked at marriage. Last week, Thomas looked at family. This week, I get to look at the office. Uh, each of these weeks, what we've tried to do is, is set before you two things, that in each all of these areas, in all three of these areas, uh, it's our goal to see how we can showcase God's design and God's gospel, right? We've talked about both of these things, or in all three of these areas. Uh, So in our marriages, we showcase God's gospel and God's design by the way we love and submit to one another. Men, um, we broadcast the gospel to the world when we love our wives selflessly. People will ask you, If you treat your wife like this, people will ask you why. It's because we are showcasing, we're broadcasting the gospel to our world and the way we love our wives. Women, in the same way, as as you follow Christ's example, the way that he perfectly submitted himself to the Father, as you respect and submit to your husband's headship, again, you showcase, you proclaim the gospel to the world and they're watching. So they should look at our marriages and see Jesus. So in a similar way, we talked about the family. So the family, we're meant to broadcast God's gospel to our communities, through our family. That children, you're called to honor, to obey your parents. Parents, you're called to love your children and not provoke them. Uh, and all of this is to be done as unto the Lord because it's God's design for our home. And again, we're following the perfect example of Christ here, who was perfectly obedient to the Father, Father even obedient to death, even obedient to death. And this showcases the gospel uh, to the world. Now from here, we get to look in our, in our text this morning. Um, but as we do, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that that you have given us a way that we can know you, that we can tell the world about you through the way we live our lives, and I pray that you give us clarity this morning as we deal with this text. Open our hearts as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So there's been a couple times in Ephesians where it has been really important For us to step back and consider the history, uh, to consider a little bit of a historical background because when we do, it gives us a better understanding of how we can apply the text. Well, this is one of those mornings. Uh, Our history as a country has had so many positive things. As Americans, we look back and we can be proud of so many things in our country. There's also a couple things that we are not very proud of. That we look back on with a little bit of reservation, a little bit of shame, even. Uh, there's probably no greater example of this than the example of the slavery of the African American people. We look back on that; it was a systematized sin, right? It was. It was. It ran so deep in the fabric of our culture that it bred within us, and it bred within our children racism and this racism we we kind of allowed ourselves to justify it Uh, we we justified it for so many years and today we're still dealing with the fallout from that sin so we look at ferguson missouri we look at all of the countless examples of of issues between law enforcement and african americans we look even this week on the campus of mizzou uh, and we see that we are still, still dealing with racial tension caused from this. Here's my point. The word slave carries with it terrible connotations, as it should. So what do we do with our text this morning? Uh, our translation starts with the word bondservant. Yours may say servant. Others of your translations may say Slave it's the word here, doulos, which is the word for slave. It's the word for slave. So church, what do we do with this? What do we do with the text that's dealing, between, dealing with the relationship between a slave and a master? What do we do with it? I'm so glad you asked me that. So glad. Let me give you a little bit of a history on uh, from where this text is coming from slavery in the first century world. And I'm doing this not because I love history, which I do, but I'm doing this so that we can see some parallels here because it is very important to start with this base. So let me just give you a a few bullets, all right? So there were an estimated 60 million slaves in the empire at this time when this was written. Uh, What that translates is in major cities like Rome, Corinth, or Ephesus, one in three were slaves. One and three. Uh, I say this because when this was written to this church in Ephesus, it would have no doubt covered their entire church. This was an issue they were dealing with. Um, In this church, there were current slaves, current slave masters, ex-slaves, people who maybe were too uh, poor to have slaves. It would have impacted this entire church. Um, Now, slavery up to this point had gone through a radical reformation. although there were certainly instances where slaves were mistreated, and we have record of those, um, that was not the norm. That was not in any way the norm. Uh, In other words, when you read this, I don't want you to read into this 17th, 18th century American slavery. Um, The truth is is that the average slave was not subject to that kind of exploitation. They weren't. Uh, For example... Slaves could count on being released In this culture In fact 50% of slaves Were released before they turned 30 Different world uh, Also as If you were a slave You could own property You could have slaves of your own uh, You were paid You could invest You could purchase things You could save You were given the social status Of your master uh, it's been said, a commentator in, in history, that um, from the outside, it was impossible to distinguish between slave and master. This was not a lower class. it was It was a part of their culture. Slaves had jobs. And when I say jobs, I mean they were accountants, doctors, farmers, cooks, interior designers, all of that, okay? That's... What they were. And more than that, they received on the job training for those positions as they came. Um, Many of them lived separate from their owners. People would opt into slavery, meaning they would sell themselves into slavery in order to attain a better life and in order to attain Roman citizenship. So they would opt into it, knowing that there would eventually be freedom, knowing that there would be on-the-job training to get them a better life and get them further ahead, uh, knowing that they could get the things that they wouldn't be able to attain if they were free men and women. So they would opt in. So here's the reality. Uh, Roman slavery was far different than American slavery and in many ways more humane, civilized than the degrading practice of African-American slavery. And the big difference here is there was no difference. It was not based on the color of skin. And the treatment of the slaves were far better, fair, and humane. I say this because I want you to see something. There is a massive parallel here from this text to our lives today. Uh, How many are employed? How many are bosses? or you manage people, okay? The first century slave-master relationship closely parallels, closely parallels the relationship between employee and employer. Uh, Virtually every teacher and commentator that you could pick up off the shelf will say the same thing, that Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 can be applied to the work relationship, and should be applied to the work relationship. So I want to submit to you this morning that not only will this text be applicable for us uh, as we consider our work relationships, but I believe it is critical and absolutely necessary and absolutely timely, that this is a morning that I believe God has something specific for us as a church. Um, and I want to make two more clarifications before we jump in, okay? Okay. One, I don't know if you realize this, but your Bible does not condemn the practice of slavery. You won't find it. It does not condemn the practice of slavery. So what do we do with that? Well, God has a plan. In our book today, the book of Ephesians, books like it, like um, uh, Philemon, uh, Galatians, um, they're written to show how the gospel can change your life and how you can live out and showcase the gospel in a culture that practices slavery. So it shows followers of Jesus how they can walk with Christ through this practice. It often gives guidelines. It shows ways that you can showcase and live out the gospel and protect against abuse. We're going to talk about that this morning. If you think about it, even the law of Moses... When God gave Moses the law and told his people live like this, if you've noticed, a lot of those regulations and laws deal with slaves and masters. Um, God did not try to abolish slavery in the text. He didn't. Instead, he seeks to show us how to to honor him and to be light. I'll say it like this. The Bible's focus has always been transformation of individuals who will then influence society not the other way around. It's never changed the society so it influences individuals. It's always changed the individual so that they impact the society. This is huge, and I want to give you an example of this. Uh, So, so many of us are are concerned with our nation. I've heard this in so much of our conversations that we feel like we see things in in America that we would like to see change. We see it going in a different direction. But hear me. If you want to see America change, if you want to see our society change, it's not through government, it's not through policies, that will not change people's hearts. We know this is true, right? No, true change, true transformation comes as the gospel change people. And people then influence their communities, and those changed communities then influence society. That's the way the gospel works, and it starts with us. It's the plan of God. Say this, he changes us in our culture in order to change our culture through us. Does that make sense? So he changes us in our culture in order to change our culture through us. That's the way God works. In the second clarification, really quickly is that although God doesn't seek to abolish slavery through this, he does not and never has endorsed the abuse and evil practices of it through the history of our people. Um, I'm going to say something you, you know. Um, there is no place in the people for God, of God for racism. There is no place in God's people for racism. Ever ever. Uh, As we've read even in Ephesians, we are equal in Christ. There is no slave, nor free male, nor female Jew, Gentile. We are brothers and sisters. Racism is anti-gospel. Now, with that as our foundation, I've done enough groundwork. Let's get into the text. And as we do, I want to seek to answer the simple question, the question we've asked every week, is how do we live out God's design and God's gospel in our culture? So let's look at this text as we do. uh, Let me see your hands again. Who's employed? All right, we're starting with you. All right, listen up. Bond servants, and in parentheses, let's just put right here, Employees, all right. Um, employees obey your earthly masters. Again, let's imagine some parentheses there and put bosses, okay? So, employees obey your early, earthly bosses with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So we'll start here with employees, uh, those under earthly masters okay? Uh, there are three things that I want us to unpack here before we move on. Three things that I believe we need to see to live out God's design in our offices. And the first one is this, respect. Respect. Uh, Paul says, obey your earthly masters with what? With fear and trembling. That's weird. What does that mean? Does that mean that we, that we, that we, tremble that we cower in fear as our bosses walk in the room? Some of you say, yes, that's exactly what I do. (laughs) Hopefully not, right? I don't think that's the kind of fear that Paul's talking about here. Um, The truth is, Paul has used this word for fear before, even in our text in Ephesians. So we see the same word in, let me show you what I mean, in 521. Just a few verses earlier, uh, Paul tells us To submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the term here that's translated reverence happens to be the same exact word for fear in Ephesians 6 5. There's one more I want to show you, and that is in verse 33 of chapter 5. Talking to wives here, he says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, That word respect, the word that's translated for respect, is the same word that we have here in Ephesians 6, 5. And so there's this idea, uh, the idea behind this word is not fear like you're fearful of your life, but more of a fear like a respect or a reverence. So the idea here that Paul is communicating is not be afraid as your boss walks in the door. Um but to respect. The idea of respect. And I know none of you would be like this, but I know we all know people who are like this. Uh, those people in our office that will listen to what the boss asked them to do, and they may do it, but their attitude is like rancid as they do it. And they just grumble or they spread talk behind the boss's back, right? Again, none of us have done that. But maybe you know people who who the boss will ask them to do something and they'll do it only if it has something in it for them, right? Only if there's something in it for them, only if they get something. That is not respect. That is not respect. Paul is calling us to submit through obedience with respect. Now, in a perfect world, that would be easy and awesome, right? In a perfect world, you would have a perfect boss who would be perfectly worthy of respect. And respect would be perfectly easy. How many live in that world? I'm expecting people that are on staff at Stone Oak to raise their hand here. No, I'm joking. Respect, honestly, though, in the real world is very, dif- is very difficult it is very difficult but respect means showing them honor even when they are difficult showing them honor and this is huge I'll put it this way it is a shame if we in this room are those people in our offices and when i say those people you know what i mean those people the ones complaining the ones with a little bit of grumbling going on behind the scenes. It would be a shame if, if we are the people in our workplace who showed dishonor and disrespect to our superiors. Because here's the reality. We showcase the gospel through the way we act at work. We showcase the gospel through the way we act at work. God cares about the way you work. Because you represent him at your work. We're going to talk more. But the second thing here that we need to see is sincerity. Sincerity sincerity. If we look back at our verse, um, we're going to see a lot of sincerity talk here. It says, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart as you would with Christ, not by way of eye service, by pe- uh, as people pleasers, but from the heart, right, with goodwill. These are all genuine sincerity kind of language. This is huge. There are some texts that you could spend hours looking at to look at layers and layers of meaning, and then there are texts like this. You don't need a seminary degree to see where Paul's going with this. He says the same thing in like six different ways. Be sincere in your office. Be sincere, genuine, not by way of eye service, not outward appearances, not as people pleasers. Paul is calling us to have a sincere heart in our office. Well, your boss might be terrible. I don't know him. I don't know her. She might be terrible. But your place is not just to please them. It's to please God. That's your place. You aren't called to obedience because of how awesome your boss is. You're called to obedience as a way to showcase your awesome God in your office. You're called to sincerely, wholeheartedly do your work for the glory of God. And when you do, again, just like in the marriage, just like in the family, people will notice. People will see this, and you showcase God's design in the gospel through respect and sincerity in your office. Now, the third thing is this, and this one is the most important. Worship. 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 Uh, Let's look at our text again and, and you'll see littered throughout this text, worship language. So it says, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then again, uh, not as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, uh, doing good as to the Lord and not to men. This is worship language. This is worship language. Okay, what you do tomorrow morning, assuming that you have a normal work schedule, I don't know this, but when you go to work next, what you are going to do is kingdom work. Kingdom work. What you do for a living is worship. Are you in sales? Are you in management? Are you service industry, medical, transportation, teacher, construction, all of it, wherever, whatever you do, you are in kingdom work just as much as if you were a full-time pastor. You are in kingdom work. You are just as important, just as vital. God cares just as much about what you do than he does what I do. God cares just as much about how you do what you do as he cares about how I do what I do. Just as much um you've been placed in your office for a reason now on one side you have the obvious reason where you get to be light in your office that's awesome people can see you see jesus that's great that one's obvious the second one though that often we miss is we are in our office because one of the primary ways that we worship our god is through the good work of our hands that is one of the primary ways that you worship is through your work. Uh, do you design shoes? Then your worship is designing really good shoes, right? If, if you uh, sell, sell real estate, then you sell homes and you do it with integrity, with excellence for the glory of God. That's worship. Uh, are you a barista? Then make really good lattes for the glory of God. Amen. That one got one. Are you a teacher? Then worship God through teaching on the best of your ability for the glory of God. That is your worship. Do you drive trucks? Then drive them well. Be full of integrity. Be safe for the glory of God. Do you stay at home as a parent? Then do it well. For the glory of God, raise those kids in a way that honors him. That is worship. That is a sweet smell to our Lord. Hear me, this is worship, and it's not lesser worship. It is true worship. Making a latte can be just as much an act of worship as what we do right here, right now. Because if our worship was limited to an hour that we spend together on Sunday mornings, that is lame. If our worship was spent, if all of our worship was, was boiled down to the amount of time that we spend praying and reading our Bibles, that is lame. The the reality here is all of those are important. All of that is important, but hear me. What you do with the majority of your time deeply matters. Deeply is vitally important, and God cares about your work. It says, render services a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. You are called to worship. You are called to showcase God's design in your your office to the way you work as unto the Lord. Um, we're called to respect, sincerity, and worship. And as we do these things, again, we showcase the gospel in our offices and in our communities. Now, how many here are bosses again? Managers, if you're a stay-at-home mom, raise your hand. You are a boss, all right? Um, All right, let's move to you. Verse nine, masters, do the same to them. Let's stop there. What are you called to do? You ready? The same thing, the same thing. So meaning respect, right? That that you respect those under you. You don't abuse them, you don't mistreat them, but you honor them and respect them, okay? Number two, sincerity, meaning you don't use them to benefit yourself, right? But you wholeheartedly, sincerely take care of them. Um, And worship, meaning that the way you work, the way you lead, the way you manage, the decisions that you make, That is worship. Respect, sincerity, and worship. But he doesn't end there for you. Uh, He adds one more thing this morning. He says, and stop your threatening. And stop your threatening. So the reality is, bosses, you have a very interesting platform. You have a platform. You have a position that gives you the freedom to abuse people. You can abuse people under you, and it's socially acceptable. You can abuse those under you. You can can domineer over them. You can threaten them. You can lord over them in fear. You can be that boss who everyone is terrified of. You can be that boss. Um, But Paul here says, leaders, bosses, this is not the way to showcase the gospel of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus, who, although he was God, came and laid aside, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, put it aside, emptied himself, right? Emptied himself, meaning he laid down his right and he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. If you're a follower of Christ and you're also a leader of men, your example of what it means to be a leader is really clear. Is really clear. Humility. Humility. Uh, You don't lead out of fear. You lead out of love with humility. Um, And that showcases the gospel in your office. Uh, Imagine the impact that, that we would see in our community if we conducted ourselves like that in our workplaces. It would transform our community. And now I love this last part of that scripture. It says, Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven... And that there is no partiality with him, meaning no matter who you are, what role you may have, we stand under one master together, side by side, under one master. And by the way, there's no partiality in him. None. There's no partiality. We are one in Christ. And so over the past three weeks, we've seen that, that God cares about the way we live He cares about the way we live out his gospel. He's called us to showcase the gospel in our marriages, in our families, in our offices. And he cares about the way you love your wife. He cares about the way you lead your family. He cares about the way that you go about your business. He cares. Um, Why? Is it that you have to do these things in order to gain acceptance from him? No. No, no. That's not it. It's, it's simply because this is the beautiful design for us. And, and when we walk out this design, we showcase, we broadcast, we proclaim the gospel to, our, to the world around us and to ourselves at the same time. We broadcast it. But hear me. Absolutely none of this matters None, zero, none of this matters without Christ. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, We can't demonstrate the gospel if we've never seen it. Uh, We can't demonstrate God's design if you don't, if you've never seen the mystery of Christ. You cannot do it. If you leave here with a list of what to do and what not to do without knowing who Jesus is, I have failed. I have failed horribly, I have failed. Um, You can't demonstrate what you don't know and you can't live out what you can't believe. It starts here. It starts here, it flows out of this. Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He was mocked, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was hung on a cross to die. He was hung on a cross to die. God in the flesh humbled himself to death. He had every right, every power at his disposal to put an end to all of it, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to give himself. He chose, he suffered, he breathed his last. um, Why? Can you answer that question? Why? Why? Why did he do it? It's because of your sin, It's because of our shortcomings. Your mess earned for you eternal punishment and separation from God. And here's the truth. God was not okay with that. God was not content with that because he loved you before you had the ability to love him back. Jesus, on that cross, took all of your filth. Every bit of it. Past, present, future. He took it all and it doesn't end there because not only did he take your mess and your filth your sin um, but hear me he gave you his perfection and this is hugely important because church what this means is that when God looks at you he does not see sinner addict um, failure screw up uh heathen he doesn't see that not anymore not anymore. When he looks at you now through Christ, he sees perfection. He sees perfection because not only was your punishment perfectly handled, but now through Christ, as God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ. It's not your perfection. It's his. But God sees that when he looks at you. You've been credited with perfection. And church, this is the good news. That you were chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, forgiven right, that you, were, that you were a child of God, that you're loved by God perfectly forever through Christ, and that's the good news, but it gets even better than that because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay there. He, he didn't stay there. Instead, he was taken down. He was placed in a tomb, a real tomb, and for days he laid there lifeless. Until that third day, when breath again, literal breath, entered his lungs, Blood began to pump, and he rose from death, conquering death, hell, conquering the grave. And now, through Christ, we have an eternal hope. And, church, I'll put it like this this is not all there is. If this was all that there is, then we are to be pitied. But this is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. We will, through the work of Jesus, spend eternity with Christ. And not in a weird, floaty, spiritual way. Okay? Literally. Literally. As literal as our Savior's resurrection was, you will experience resurrection. Literal resurrection and you will spend eternity with Christ, everlasting hope in Christ. This is the good news, and this is, the God, this is what really, truly changes lives. That. That's it. That's what changes lives. And if you're, if you're here and you've never responded to the gospel, start here. Start now. We're going to pray in a moment. Start here. Start now. But don't try to respond to godly living without first responding to God. It is a lose-lose situation. Let me put it like this. Um, Without Christ, we've been talking about slavery a lot. Um, Let me put it like this. You are a slave. Um, You were a slave. You were a slave to your passions, your sin, your flesh. And How many of you know what that kind of slavery feels like? We know what that feels like. You were a slave, but church, through Christ, you have been set free. Through Christ, there is freedom. It is for freedom that he set you free. So get this. Our master, our Lord Jesus, purchased us out of slavery, purchased us out of bondage, right? He purchased us out. In the ancient world, we have numerous records, including even Deuteronomy 15, that shows there are um, slaves who were given freedom, and yet they chose to um, enter in the service of their master as free men and women. The term for that is the term that we see in our text: bond servant. That these were free men, free women who chose to enter themselves into the service of their master. Church, you are a bond servant of Christ. You are a bond servant. Of Christ in that you have been given freedom and now in freedom you step into the joy of your master's house. Um, Paul refers to himself as a bondservant. From my count, there's probably more 15 times. Uh, the New Testament refers to us, the church, as bondservants from my count 22 times. Why on earth is the New Testament so set on this language? Um, because you have been set free and now in freedom, you're able to step into the joy of your master's house. This morning, that's the call to come to Christ, to experience freedom and to step then into the joy of our master's house. That's the beautiful call of the gospel. Um, Let me pray for us.